0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, Shao Ik. It is our regular monthly show with Dr. Rajini Sarvanandan, consultant developmental pediatrician. And today we are discussing how to talk to neurodivergent children about their condition and their diagnosis. Now, if you are a parent of a neurodivergent child or just um, you know part of that ecosystem, whether you're a, a caregiver or perhaps an educator, you'll Know that this is a challenging but also a very rewarding journey. Now, especially for parents, one of the pivotal moments in this journey is discussing the diagnosis with the children themselves. And as parents, um, I think one of the questions top of your mind would be how and when do you approach this conversation? And how do you help your children understand what it means, um, what they will need to go through, while also celebrating their strengths and uniqueness and helping them to understand? understand um, what include being you know part of an inclusive society means so dr rajini um, is joining me today to discuss that along with another guest dr choi sook founder of Oasis Place and a parent of a neurodivergent child. So call us at um, 0377332900 if you have questions or your own thoughts or experiences that you'd like to share. You can also WhatsApp us at our, your mobile number 0187898899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Dr. Rajini and Dr. Choi, how are the both of you today? Fine, thank you. Shall we... Thank you, Shawek, for having me here and Dr. Rajini too. Really lovely to be with you. Dr. Chai, I'm going to put you on the spot straight away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I want to uh, help our listeners sort of draw them into this world. When a neurodivergent child is, um, you know, identified uh, with their, um, you know, um, challenges and their issues... What is the journey that parents themselves go through? Because I think it's one thing, and we do talk a lot about sort of what are the challenges that um, children and individuals um, face, but um, parents are sort of right there along with them. And what is that largely emotional journey that parents go through? Sherry, uh, if you don't mind, I I uh, I think my
1: kids will be listening into uh, if. You know, the word neurodivergent, maybe I can start with that yeah. first. Yes. Just kind of pedal back a little bit. Um, I love this this term neurodivergent, uh, which represents for us, for me, uh, that you are unique. Your brain is different. There's exactly you neuro know, neurobrain and divergent is different. And uh, so that, that journey becomes easier when uh, I find that I can have a common language uh, with my children. Uh, or with uh, friends or anybody I'm speaking about mm. uh, about neurodiversity. Mm. Uh, if I can share from my personal journey, mm. um, yeah. we we were very very fortunate. Um, going back 12 years now, uh, we were actually in a family party, and a um, uh, aunt who happens to be a neuro neurodevelopmental a, a pediatrician, a specialist in neurology just took me aside um, and said, "So, if you don't mind me letting you know, uh, Joshua's milestone seems to be uh, delayed. And as she just pointed out, the penny just dropped. Uh, the, uh, non, um, uh, uh, the, the lesser eye contact compared to our older son, Aaron, mm-hmm. uh, we have a son who is three years older, mm-hmm and uh, uh, the uh, hyperactivity. uh, So the penny just dropped. And having somebody just validate that, I think albeit, I have the medical doctor title, I think the mother um, tends to be more hopeful. Yes, that's (laughs) right.
0: (laughs) And you needed um, an objective uh, observation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So
1: that then took us very quickly, though. We were fortunate that we have this angel who was guiding us. And because uh, our little one was, at that time, only 18 months, that Mm. brought in another complexity for us at that point uh, because there were not that many. The the typical age then was a a diagnosis at four or five years old. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so we had to, to be guided to Singapore uh, to see a developmental paediatrician there. And uh, from then, uh, we were again so grateful to have the late uh, Professor Dr. Lee, uh, who explained to us by hierarchy, uh, we are getting a diagnosis from a paediatrician. But the key people's important to us really was the allied health therapist mm. who would continue that journey through with us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that uh, is sort of that chronological uh, perspective. but And I think um, you were fortunate that, um, like you said, your medical background probably helped to make that connection, right? Um, but how important is it that parents... Um, of all walks in life, are able to process and accept um, what they will be hearing about their children before embarking on that journey, like you said, whatever therapy or interventions may be involved.
1: Yeah. I I think albeit we may have knowledge, I think that same maternal nurturing anxiety uh, came up. Yeah. I think what continues to help that uh, concern, fear of challenges, is actually the fear of the unknown. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: as uh, the journey continued, uh, aside from the professional help, uh, what was very helpful to uh, get more knowledge, more information, uh, was uh, reading. Uh, reading uh, from books of parents who were sharing about their children uh, in fact if I can name uh, for now uh, Carly's, um, Carly's, Carly's voice. voice yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh, it's a story of this young this is uh, a young lady who was highly if I can use the word high support needs uh, she was not even verbal yeah. I think it was only in the teens in the books yeah. share that uh she, she was able to, to get recognised and feel that she was helped, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. because parents were just loving her I think the key word here is as we love our children if I can use the word to death mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um, we, we, we will find or uh, I definitely found the, the motivation uh, to overcome the unknown and the fear mm-hmm. uh, and in a calmer moment Uh, Aside from professional uh, reading uh, books, uh, I was guided then to why don't you chat to some parents? And this is where parents' support groups uh, become uh, very useful. Uh, You can use it as a tool, (laughs) or you can use that uh, as a community Mm. uh, to learn, Mm. uh, to ask. um, It's a great resource.
0: Absolutely. Dr. Rajini, Mm. um, over the last, I mean, I think uh, Dr. Choi's experience uh, or that sort of uh, journey of 12 years is uh, quite reflective of how much more information Mm. is now known about neurodivergence and neurodiversity. But also, has that really changed um, attitudes, especially parents and families when it comes to identifying um, their children's needs?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, Charik, um looking back over uh, 20, 21, 22 years of, of working here now, um, a lot has changed. And um, for all that we may have regressed in other ways, uh, it's good to see that in in this line of work, we have progressed so much. Um, you know, one is people's awareness uh, of neurodivergence, of the fact that children have different needs has increased. Um, So even if we look at our practice, you know, when I first started out um, at the first Child Development Centre in UKM, the sort of average age of children presenting to our clinics, I mean, of course, it varied, but we would say it was around five to six, yeah, just before they entered primary school or when they entered preschool. Mm. Um, it's very common now that I get children under the age of 18 months where parents themselves uh, approach clinics and professionals to seek help because they recognise that their children may be developing differently. Um, of course, with the advances in medical care, for example, neonatal care mm-hmm. in Malaysia. I mean, we've progressed so far mm-hmm. that we, we're seeing children who were born prematurely who may not have survived this world surviving, mm-hmm. but of course, with uh, a consequence to their to to their brain development and how um, things. So we a lot has changed, and in terms of uh, parental awareness i think there is a lot more now which is great mm. um we still have a long way in terms of acceptance understanding but you know i'm 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 hopeful that that things have uh, will move on
0: all right yeah We will go for a quick break and continue this discussion when we come back. Consultant Developmental Pediatrician Dr. Rajani Saranandan and Dr. Choi Suk-kwen, founder of Oasis Place and a parent um, in the studio with me to discuss... um, Increasing awareness and I, better, better uh, ways of identifying neurodivergence, but also I think the part we haven't gone to, gone into yet, is how to talk to children about the ways in which they are different and unique. Call us with your questions or your thoughts, 0377332900. You can also WhatsApp our U-Mobile number, 0187898899, or tweet us at BFM Radio. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Health & Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shawik. My guests in the studio with me today, consultant, developmental pediatrician, Dr. Rajini Sarvanandan, and Dr. Choi So kwen founder of Oasis Place and a parent of a neurodivergent child. We are discussing um, how to talk to neurodivergent children um, and, uh, you know, sort of, be there with them uh, in the journey, the lifelong journey that they will be going through. You can call us with your thoughts, um, questions of course, if you are a parent or caregiver in this um, situation perhaps. Uh, of course um, we'd like to hear of your personal experiences as well if you're open to sharing them, you can call us at zero three double seven double three two nine hundred, or WhatsApp us at 0187898899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Um We've talked about parents equipping themselves with um, the information because the fear of the unknown is something that um, as parents, normal, absolutely um, natural um, to be anxious about what lies ahead, uh, but information helps Um, now let's look at I guess from the perspective of children themselves And I think perhaps as parents, we tend to go into, um, you know, to-do mode when we find out, um, okay, there is a need here and I need to plan what to do for the kids and and, and so on and so forth. Um, Speaking from personal experience, maybe you forget, hey, there's a child involved (laughs) in this. And it's sort of like do, do, do for them, go, 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 you know. Um, Perhaps conceptually first, Dr. Choi, Is it important for children themselves to know about their diagnosis? Why is it important? Hmm. Uh, I think this question
1: needs to be taken in context. Uh, Whilst we may want to dive in intellectually and say, oh yes, it's very important. uh, But I personally feel that uh, the context will be uh, f- for example, perhaps I can use our own personal context. Mm. Yeah. Um, in our family, my, my husband is an educationist, uh, and uh, the boys uh, go to a fairly alternative-stream uh, school. It's mainstream in Montessori Bays. Uh, but uh, we tend to have a more... We spend a lot of time... Um, talking to each other, talking about emotions, challenging each other. Um, uh, We are quite a a, a boisterous uh, group. Uh, Now, coming back then to our uh, family values is, does it empower uh, the children uh, to know uh, a fact? How will this... Uh, the the line of thought that, that goes through me is how will this impact uh, their uh, environmental circumstances in school uh, in their um, after school their friendships yeah, yeah. so um, because Joshua was so little when he started uh, at eighteen months mm-hmm. we uh, we meaning aside from Joshua. Aaron, our three-year-old son, plus Papa and Mama, went into therapy sessions as a family. Mm. That was how uh, going to therapy sessions was like going for playtime. Mm. And in that context, um, so how uh, the question coming back is, um, how important uh, do we let them know? Mm. It, I think it's a progression. Mm-hmm. In our family, mm-hmm. it was a progression. And um, uh, I, I shared a, a cute story earlier. Although we are very immersed in inclusive school, uh, in my work, uh, we talk a lot about autism. You know, when we, we chat uh, in the family about work,
2: mm-hmm.
1: even though the kids were little, they're listening on. Uh, so one, one day, uh, we were in the car and Joshua just sprung out uh, I think he was already between seven and eight. And he said, Mama, I'm autistic, right? Uh, I must say that caught my breath. Mm. Uh, but it concluded very uh, confidently with Joshua says, Hmm, but I am, uh, I'm healed now. I'm not autistic anymore. And, and I think that context for him was uh, he, uh, he's in an inclusive school and he had friends who was obviously needing more.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, so for us, I think for us, we value the fact that uh, they are included in the conversations, and um, that depth of conversation may be different uh, for different families. Mm.
0: Yeah. yeah. By the sounds of it, we're talking about exposure yes. first, right? Your thoughts, Dr. Rajin? Yeah. So there's always
2: never a right time, mm. and for. Many families who I work with, a lot of times the children have been coming for years and they don't all ask explicitly what's wrong with me. The way children pose questions, why I'm different, comes out in different ways. So it could be, why do I have to go and see the doctor? I'm not sick. Mm -hmm. And then they say, no, 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 you're going to see Dr. Rajini. And... Um, the parents then remind them that, oh, you know, remember you go there, you play, do puzzles, etc. And they go, oh, we're going to go play and similar sort of thing. But as they get older and depending on the environment that they're in, um, there may be questions raised. Mm. Why is it um, I have to go for all this additional activities or therapies or tutoring, etc.? But my brother gets to go and play for foot, play football or play for hours on his video games, et cetera. And so I guess, you know, when children start to see that they are different, they start to question. And I guess that's when we need to start broaching the subject. And I think when we talk about um, telling a child his diagnosis, it's like you say, it's a process. Mm-hmm. It's. Um, you have to address those questions. You can't just push it under the carpet and say, "Oh no, 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 no." You know, you you just uh, we just want to see whether uh, you know you can be good enough to go to to school mm. like Coco, or go, or go mm. to you know that sort of thing. It, it's sort not enough to yeah, mm. not glossing over it per mm. se, but actually sitting down with the kids and addressing the questions that they have. Mm. Now we may not use terms like you know autism or a d h d or dyslexia or you know things like that. Um, but we may use different terms in trying to explain to children why is it that they have to go and see the speech therapist or the occupational therapist or. To see, you know, um, a doctor or a psychologist, mm-hmm. and and how we explain it. it's going to be different in different families and different circumstances. Mm.
0: Do you think that eventually these terms should come up in the effort to normalize uh, neurodivergence? I think, shall we? You know,
2: for a lot of families, um, um, well, for a lot of the children they are exposed to so much now through the internet and through social media and um, eventually they hear these terms. And I've had a number of children come in and in front of their parents, and I'm talking about 9, 10, 11-year-olds saying exactly what Joshua said, you know, um, I think I'm autistic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the parents have this horrified look and this anxiety and they look at me and I know in their minds, they probably want me to sort of say, no, 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 you don't. Mm. Um, and believe me, I've been in a, um, you know, I've been in hot soup where I haven't, but I've gone on to ask the children, now, why do you think that? And where did you hear from it? And, um, and then try to explore, like, do you know why you come and see me? And, you know, children often have ways of finding out things Especially if they go into a mainstream setting, where they are perceived as being or they are seen as being different, yeah. and, um, and and often I say to parents, especially for children who are going into inclusive settings, I'm not worried about whether your child succeeds academically, but more importantly, we need to look that look at his emotional growth. And one of the things that will happen over time is that he will start to notice he's different. He's going to ask you and you need to be prepared. And more importantly, we need to make sure that he's not being bullied, you know, Mm. verbally, physically, etc. And he knows how to protect himself. Mm. So all this comes together. Mm. And, And I think it's very important that, you know, parents think about that and equip themselves with knowledge so they are aware how to
0: answer these
2: questions mm.
0: yep. yeah so not necessarily a right time mm. um in and that's as dr Choi said you take it into in, in, you have to understand or accept that there are different contexts for different families is there a right uh, maybe you've already answered it actually Dr. Mm. is there a right person must it be the parents <laughs> what do you think now, Chichai? I, I think again, wearing,
1: the context is wearing different hats. Uh, I think as professionals, we have to be very aware of, uh, unfortunately, the medical-legal hmm. aspects. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, wearing a mother's or an individual's um, I I don't really have the answer. Mm -hmm. But uh, may I just go back to that discussion about uh, the terminologies or Mm. the definitions. Um, I had a chat with Joshua before I came. Mm. And um, Joshua shared a very interesting view uh, that um, having that technical term uh, is fine Mm. uh, because he likes signs. And, you know, many, Mm. many, many children like very powerful words. Mm. Yeah. Uh, scientific uh, terminologies, but uh, his preference he shared with me was, oh, I think it's much better to describe that mm. this person is hyperactive. Mm. I was very impressed by that because, of course, we in medical in the in the mm. medical science we know if we have definitions under ICD, mm. they tend to be more descriptive, mm. yeah, of
2: the situation mm. as opposed to. a a diagnostic phrase Mm
0: -hmm. yeah Yeah.
2: and i think that's great because actually in in real life context when i've been involved in this process um when children it depends on what they've been exposed to so you know in our day how we were exposed to autism was rain man right and now there's so many other programs Mm -hmm. and Sometimes they relate to it, sometimes they don't. And sometimes they say, oh, but I'm not like that doctor and good doctor or that lawyer on that Korean program. Um, I'm different. And, and, and I think you're right about the descriptive terms, you know, because then we can tell children, right, yeah, you are different. And that's what we mean by your brain working differently because you maybe have autism or you may have ADHD, but your problem isn't the hyperactivity or your problem isn't flapping your hands, but it's how you deal with people and or you know the fact that you struggle to pay attention. Or, mm.
1: yeah. Yeah. I think to add on to that actually, um, many parents may not be aware that in some situations, some countries, the having that definitive diagnosis is needed mm. to access funding for therapy or for schooling, so that's what I meant by the context mm. is is very wide, mm. yeah. right? So there's this even if I apply it to our local situation, uh, some schools require a diagnosis mm. to get that inclusive. Sp- uh, uh, Enrollment, yes, yeah. So yeah. there are ma- many aspects. Um, so I would say, the the fam the, the family values, mm. right? Uh, the the larger stakeholder family's values. It needs to be taken into the consideration. There's no black and white.
0: Mm. But I think what um, I get out of this part of the discussion is, at the end of the day, we want to stay away from labels mm. that would just you know. Um, You know, without the proper nuances, Mm. uh, just give rise to stereotypes Mm. and misunderstandings. We have some questions, um, which we'll get to after the break. Uh, a little bit more to be discussed as well. Dr. Rajini Sarvananda, consultant, developmental pediatrician, and Dr. Choi Suk-kwen, um, founder of Oasis Place, and a parent in the studio with me. You can keep your messages coming in. WhatsApp us at 18 or call us at zero three double We'll be right back on Health & Living BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik. In the studio with me today, consultant, developmental pediatrician, Dr. Rajini Sarvanandan and Dr. Choi suk a parent of a neurodivergent child and founder of Oasis Place. Um, I actually haven't, um, you know, I, I think I forgot to explain what Oasis Place is. It's a multidisciplinary um, jump in and save me, Dr. Choi <laughs> yeah, You're doing well
1: <laughs> So so it's multi in that There are clinical psychologists, speech Occupational therapists, music therapists mm-hmm. And a lot of learning mm-hmm. uh, And we work with uh, a, a Children to adults Uh, with neurodevelopmental challenges. Mm. Thank you.
0: Yes. (laughs) Uh, So we are discussing um, neurodivergence, uh, but specifically, I think, sort of that part of the journey where parents um, learn about their children's diagnosis uh, and challenges and issues and differences, uh, but also how do they talk to their children about it. You can call us at 3 with your questions or thoughts. You can also WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. I have a very interesting message here. Um who says, um, so this listener says, I would like to see more emphasis given uh, specifically to how ADHD impacts girls. As a woman with ADHD, um, she says, self-diagnosed at the age of 45, there seems to be a serious lack of understanding about how ADHD impacts females specifically. Maybe I haven't seen enough doctors, but I actually had a psychiatrist react in surprise when I told him that reading is a hobby. Um, because his perception was that ADHD is equated to hyperactivity and inattention and therefore assumed that she shouldn't be able to sit and read. So some um, misconceptions there. Mm. Um, I did want to sort of add on to our listeners sharing there. Um, We have talked about how ADHD presents differently in Mm. girls and women and diagnosis is often delayed Mm. uh, among girls. Um how does that change this whole uh dynamic of helping children to be able to understand what they're going through and especially for our listener if she um and, and other listeners or other people who are diagnosed in adulthood? Mm. Um, you know, that that means they've gone through so much of their years mm. not understanding why they were mm. different, right? This is a challenging one, shall we? I guess
2: also because I often work with families from very young age and so, you know, I see them grow up. But along the way, um, you know, and, and as we often do, we don't just see a child, we see a family. And when we chat about families, how the other kids are doing, and, you know, I try and make it a point to just check in. Not, not so much to find out if the other child may have an underlying neurodevelopmental disorder, but... You know, the, the toll on siblings um, when there is a child who has, you know, um, a needing to go for therapies, etc. The toll, mm-hmm. toll on siblings can sometimes uh, be hard. And not all families are what Dr. Choi described, very open parents who talk to their children openly. But sometimes along the way, we find that there are challenges that siblings face and they may have been neurodivergent but just sort of slipped um, the system or or functionally it hasn't affected them until they've reached a certain point in their life and I think it's important to recognize that Um, and I think you know again with the internet with the fact that there are lots of these um, online questionnaires etc we also need to be very careful that, um, especially our teens in the teenage years, that they are, you know, in their, their quest of finding help because they're strugg- struggling with things, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. They, they don't believe everything that they see and read on the internet. And it's important as parents that we keep an eye so that we take them to the right professionals or get them help where they need it. Not everything needs a diagnosis. Sometimes it's about helping you with your emotions or it's helping you cope with, you know, the stress of whether it be academic or social life, etc. Um and, and that's important. And that we recognize that, you know, people struggle at different points in their life. And and yeah, and sometimes we look back and we say, actually there there were traits there. Mm. Um, that maybe went unnoticed, not because we were negligent, but because this child managed to cope. Now, there's that that other level of masking. And I think we talked about it a couple, you know, I'm not sure if it's this year or last year, everything is...
0: Possibly last year. Yeah, <laughs> maybe
2: we should revisit it, yeah. which can be very stressful. And at some point, you know, that person becomes um, overwhelmed and exhausted. Mm-hmm. And then... The symptoms show up. Mm. But but I think, you know, back to to that question, that support network is very important. So even when you're talking about talking to children, who should do it? Um, many parents feel overwhelmed and reach out to professionals mm. whom they are close to. Sometimes it's the therapist. Uh, sometimes it's us as doctors. Sometimes it's even the teachers or the neighbours. And I think as parents, don't feel that this is something you have to do alone, mm. Um, especially when you don't have the right support networks. I have parents who who are really very amazing and they come in and they tell me, oh, we've told him. Mm. And we did this over a period of months and we both sat down and we did a PowerPoint or we let him watch a, um, an episode of something. Mm. and and But I've never seen a parent do it solo. Mm. Mm. It's always with... Uh, a partner, so whether it's husband and wife, husband and I uh, know mother and grandmother, mother and therapist, mm-hmm. and it's important that you, as a parent, have that support yeah. because this is something very, very, very challenging and difficult to do, yeah you know yeah i I, I just want to add on that
1: yeah. um, we actually live there are many people who are actually very kind. Compassionate and is ready. I love what you uh, remind us. Uh, you are not alone. Mm. Yeah. Whether it's professional help mm. uh, or just a friend, mm. uh, don't forget the teacher. Yep, yeah. So, so all these different uh, stakeholders. Actually, I like to. Um, I, I've learned a new phrase which I love to use is a care partner. They are all care, partners with us, partnering uh, mm-hmm. at, at different uh, situations, different contexts.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah they are not alone. Involving school and teachers means that conversation needs to be had with um, educators as well. Um, what are your thoughts, Dr. Choi? I mean, your son's have been in a very inclusive school environment Um, but admittedly that may be very different for other parents and children Um, how should parents approach this?
1: Thank you for bringing this up, this is very dear to my heart Um, again I I feel that, that education that learning should not be directed or concentrated only with the special educators in this context, mm. it is ever so important that uh, all teachers uh, who are involved in education, and I think this has been a cry to our ministry too, mm. uh, should uh, be uh, should be educated, yeah. tra- if, at diff- trained at different levels yeah. uh, to be aware uh, of. Uh, what is neurodiversity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that conversation with the teachers, again, actually many teachers now are aware. Uh, if we speak to more teachers now, they have noticed
0: mm-hmm.
1: more and more how the classroom students are changing They are different. So even as an individual teacher, you may grow to be an Aren't a you know a a a parent yourself? Mm. Uh, they are able to uh, pick up the different developmental uh, abilities of the child. Yeah, actually. Yeah. So uh, I used to say to to schools that we serve uh, when we go to do school visits that um, you must prepare your teachers. Uh, the truth now is. Uh, the children are already in the school space whether you are inclusive or not. Mm. So the question is, will you prepare, be a preventive in that sense, uh, to educate the whole school cohort? Or will you only react Mm. and say, oh dear, we need some help?
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We have... A parent who has messaged in, uh, and it sounds like he's also trying to reach out for help. I'm just going to summarise his um, question a little bit. His son is 14, uh, previously diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. Uh, when he was younger, had difficulty socialising and playing with other children, has been for occupational therapy and other therapies. There was some improvement. But now at school, he still has issues connecting with other students um, and especially with um, managing his anger. Um, And Joseph's question is, um, would anger management sessions be a solution for him now? Perhaps general guidance? The teenage years are a
2: challenging period for all, yeah. Yeah neurodivergent or not true <laughs> and um, kids can be kind kids can be cruel they don't always be in. they're not always intentionally cruel and we all get angry and one of the things I always say to parents is let it's normal to be angry it's important that children understand they can express anger within the boundaries of the context that they're in or the social environment that they're in So helping him manage that expression of emotion, I think, is important. Um, But important that we don't suppress it.
0: Hmm.
2: And that's a summary. (laughs) Yes. So if you, as a parent, don't know how to do that because you yourself have difficulties managing your anger, which I attest to, Personally, mm. um, then you need to seek help. Mm. You know, yeah. so I think um, that's important. Yeah. And Dr. Rajini, I mean, early on you
1: mentioned one 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 of the key support really is to help our children with their emotional mm. growth. Mm. Yeah. Um, maybe this takes me to the to to the point that um, the awareness that neurodiversity is lifelong. Mm. And I think at different points, there may be different challenges Mm. that will bring out different issues. And Mm. perhaps in this instance, it's the anger. Mm. It maybe needs revisiting. Mm. There may be something that is more challenging than usual Mm. happening in school Mm. or otherwise.
0: Mm. Mm um we um you know we sort of asked around as well and got some questions um within our circles uh and i have one here which is a i think it ties a little bit back to sort of when you're diagnosed as an adult where things could have been missed you know um tricky one this one again general thoughts perhaps uh this person is age 22, as somebody who is struggling with possible uh, traits of autism, how do I deal with my parent who uses fear tactics to get me to, quote-unquote, straighten up? Yeah, it's a tough
2: one. And I just had one such case, but not with an adult, mm-hmm. but with a child who, you know, is a preschooler. And... Um, when parents do that, it's because they themselves are scared and they don't know how to deal with this and they don't know where to start in finding um, information about it. Mm-hmm. And this is where um, giving information or guiding parents to the right information is important. Mm-hmm. And and I think for the person in in um, in this situation, um, you're 22 years old, and understanding that your parents don't know everything is important, and telling them and understanding that they are also in a place where they are fearful is important, and maybe subtly giving them information that you think they are able to digest at their level is important. Mm. Taking them to go to watch a movie, uh, you know, or introducing them through leaflets or putting on a podcast or mm. something like that. Mm-hmm. I think is a way to start the conversation sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I can add to that and to encourage this individual,
1: is, is there a, 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 your parents' friend mm-hmm. yet? Yeah. Or a, a relative mm. uh, who is who your parents may feel safer in that sense mm. uh, to 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 listen. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I recall a story where actually the parent read a magazine. Mm. Uh, sometimes at uh, Autism Month or some mm. magazines, you know, just make it freely available. Mm.
0: Casually, yeah. Casually. It out. Yes. <laughs> yes. and
1: and sometimes it's easier to learn from others, yeah uh, because it's safer, yes, it feels safer
0: mm. yeah. unfortunately, um you know, I, I feel like this could be a bigger conversation, of course. Mm. um we did have a question about you know support for children who grow up to be adults, right? And, and you know, so much uh, attention is given to children and teenagers who are neurodivergent, but perhaps less support for them when they're adults. I'm going to make sure that our guests come back so that we can have that as a separate conversation. Running out of time now, though, I, I want to um, just get each of you to wrap up for me. For the benefit of families, especially I think those who are just starting on this journey, um, what would you like to share with them uh, in facing the ups and downs that will come? Dr. Choi? Um,
1: I think understanding and accepting neurodiversity or neurodivergent conditions lifelong uh, allows us to continue that journey of learning forward. Mm. I think as parents uh, or care partners, uh, that continuously learning forward will help us plan just a little bit better. Um, maybe I'd like to end with one of my favourite my, my favorite mentor, Kim Bartel. Uh, she's a OT, world-class OT trainer. And uh, she says, you know, what words is intervention or mm. therapy. And what does not is an assessment. So we have that posture, even as a parent, yeah. that we can be, be kinder to ourselves. <laughs> um, what we don't know uh, is an assessment. Let's find out more.
2: Mm. Yep. Thank you. Dr Rajini? I think it's important to recognise that um, there's a child or there's an individual there. First and foremost, and we should celebrate that person, mm. and don't lose sight of that, uh, regardless. Yeah, and we—it's important when you before you sit down to talk to your child about it that that you have the knowledge, and that you also sit down and you think, you know, what are his strengths, and highlight that, and. Tell them that, you know, compared, you know, that's that's how you're different as well because you're good at this. Mm. Yeah, you may not be so good at something else, but, you know, your brain's wired differently. So, you know, it's important that parents don't do this on a whim and that this is a process and make sure you're well supported as a parent.
0: Mm. So that conversation, really, I think that the the context in your mind also Mm. needs to be... um, your child's unique strengths yes. and abilities as opposed to sort of sending that message that um, there's something wrong with you yes. which which would be setting so much damage yes, uh, to come. Right. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with me, consultant developmental paediatrician, Dr. Rajani Sarvanandan and Dr. Choi Sukhwin from Oasis Place and also a parent sharing her thoughts with us today. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9